here's a, a weird bit of, of of trivia for you. There's a a, uh, a Scots Gaelic word skulk. Um, I, I don't know if they still use it, but they certainly did in the 1700s, and it means literally whiskey for breakfast. Uh, the uh, oh my the, god! The, the literal translation is a sharp blow to the head. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> skulk. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. That's well, awesome. that that's gonna become a new part of my vernacular, vernacular yeah, right there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's awesome. That's wicked. I am I having it. my uh, skulk. Yes. Yeah. It's a skulky morning. Yeah, uh, I haven't actually morning. even eaten anything yet, so this will be fun. Here we go. <laughs> whiskey, whiskey. The singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now when we're lower in the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. Welcome to The Whiskey Topic, the weekly podcast that tends to get off topic. My name is Mark Bylock. I'm the author of The Whiskey Cabinet, and my co-host is Jamie Johnson, who runs a private but approachable bourbon club here in Toronto, Canada. You can also find our podcast on the website whiskey.buzz. Welcome to episode 51 of The Whiskey Topic. Um, and of course, as is always the case, it's near St. Patrick's Day. Um, and now, Jamie, you remember we recorded, I think, our third episode around St. Patty's Day. That's correct. Uh, um, and and I've, I, already messed, I already messed up. It's St. Patrick's Day. What did you call it? it? You can't call it St. Patty's Day anymore. What do you mean? The um, Oh, well, it's a, it's a, a kind of a hot topic really? over here. So Paddy, St. Paddy is Paddy fine. with a D. Um, D's. Yes, with a D, but it's a uniquely kind of North American phenomenon to have, you know, St. Patrick replaced with a hamburger patty. Uh, the St. <laughs> patty, the, the name has never been, Patty has never been the nickname for Patrick. It's mm-hmm. Paddy. Uh, the, um, <laughs> but, uh, yes, the, so um, it is St. Patrick's Day or St. Patty's Day. Uh, Patty is yes. fine, yeah. And on the podcast today, we have Finn O'Connor. Now, Finn uh, wrote the book A Glass Apart, and um, I'm very excited about this because, you know, we've had Davin on the show that wrote the Canadian whiskey book. Um, Finn is basically that for Irish whiskey. Um, he, he started, he was um, studying along and realized, wow, a lot of stuff that we learned about Irish whiskey isn't actually true or not necessarily historically accurate. Um, and wrote a whole book about his experiences and about the whiskey he's had and kind of a his- historical look at Irish whiskey, which, thank God, we need, we need a little bit more of that in the world. So I'm uh, very much appreciated and great to have you on the show, Finn. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. Excellent. That's great. I think, um, I think there's a lot of uh, listeners uh, in the States, um, and, and we got a lot of bourbon drinkers that listen to the podcast. So I think I have like sort of the very first base level kind of like intro question is to just like maybe give us a little info on what exactly Irish whiskey is or maybe you know the the main differences between an uh, Irish whiskey and let's say like a single malt. Sure well I mean one one problem that I have with the way that Irish whiskey presents itself is uh, in an attempt to answer exactly that question I think Irish whiskey advertising has often reduced what Irish whiskey is to kind of set itself in clean opposition to bourbon or in clean opposition to scotch, when in fact the lines have never been really set in stone. There's, you know, for instance, the, the two kind of uh, most most well-known claims about Irish whiskey, both of which are false, uh, is that Irish whiskey is triple distilled and that Irish whiskey is unsmoked. Um, and there's double distilled Irish whiskey. Uh, once upon a time, there was a lot more of it. And there's smoked Irish whiskey. And once upon a time, there was a lot more of it. And of course, there's triple distilled scotch and there's unpeated scotch and you know um 
instead, I'd say, you know, rather than pitching kind of, here's what Irish whiskey tastes like and expect this when you buy an Irish whiskey, you know, I'd much rather see it treated in the way, almost the way people tra- talk about beer, where you don't say, right, German beer tastes like X and, right. you know, uh, Dutch beer tastes like Y. It's, there are styles of beer which may have originated here or may have originated there or are more common here. They're like, not every Belgian beer is a Belgian lambic, but people think of, you know, that style as being very Belgian. So I'd say, you know, in Irish whiskey, there are Irish single malts. There always have been. I mean, right from the start of, uh, of course, the term single malt historically is much younger than, than most people believe. But in terms of the history of that, that kind of drink, you know, Ireland was there right at the start as well. Um, but there are uh, styles of whiskey, one in particular that are unique to Irish whiskey. Uh, and really a glass of a glass apart, the, the book project was was mainly about that style uh, which is called single pot still, um, which, you know, in Scotch whiskey, you get kind of a fork or no, you get kind of a, a ladder type type uh, approach where you get, you know, single grain, uh, you get malt and you get blends. And of course, you know, actually ladder might not be the best way to put it, but it's seen too often as a ladder where people think that, you know, blends are more accessible and malts are more demanding. And of course, that's that's not really true. Um, but even even within that context, Ireland had more of a fork where you had single grain, you have blends, and you have malts. But you also have this other this other drink called single pot still whiskey, which is a, a ludicrously horrible title <laughs> because, uh, of course, anything can be made in a pot still. Bourbon can be made mm-hmm. in a pot still. Uh, most single malts are made in a pot still, um, but it comes from kind of an accident of history. Uh, it was essentially called Irish pot still or Irish pure pot still, but implicitly the way the Irish run the pot still, which we then shortened the pot still. So anyway, um, but the main difference there would be the use of raw barley along with the malt. Um, the, uh, of course, the way you make a single malt is that you take barley and you drown it in water and you cause it to germinate and so forth. Um, what the Irish started doing that even the Scots did this for a, a small period of time. It kind of died out in Scotland, um, but really it's associated with Irish whiskey history. Uh, the Irish started using mixtures of malted grain with unmalted barley and historically other grains as well, unmalted rye, unmalted oats. And it came largely from uh, a tax that was put on malted barley by the British government uh, it probably existed in some form before the tax, but the tax kind of made it a strong incentive. Um, and the tax was put on, first on whiskey itself, on the sale of whiskey, then on the distilling of whiskey. And finally, because the distillers kept lying and, you know, they'd make eight barrels a week and, you know, roll six of them out the back door to, to sell on the quiet, uh, the government basically went into the barnyards and said, look, um, we're going to tax you on the grain you have on the, on the malt uh, and that's how much whiskey you can theoretically make. Um, and so the Irish started adding raw barley to kind of serve as a foil to the, the malt tax. And of course, to get alcohol out of, uh, out of barley in any sort of efficient sense, you, you need to malt it. You know, we don't just malt for flavor. Uh, we malt to get fermentable sugars. And so when you use raw barley, it slows the whole thing down. It creates a lower yield. It's less efficient. There's all these reasons not to use raw barley. Um, but it was discovered almost accidentally uh, that if you had malt there anyway in the mash bill, the malt would just rip the, the sugars out of the raw barley anyway. Again, mm. slower, less mm. efficient, but it does happen. Um, and what the raw barley 
does add, aside from, a, again, once upon a time, a bit of tax relief, uh, is this strange texture into the actual beer, into the actual uh, wash, which becomes um, it's almost like a porridgey type type heaviness, which when distilled becomes a kind of an oil. Uh, it's a very, very different feeling drink. And I think when people drink Irish whiskey, uh, the best advice I can give, especially if they're having either one of the single pastas or the many blends that use single malt or use single pots to whiskey instead of single malt whiskey. There's a lot of Irish blends that work in the way that, like, say, a blended scotch would probably be 80% single grain whiskey and 20% single malt. The same paradigm is true here, except a lot of the blends like Jemison and Powers uh, use uh, pot still instead of malt. Um, and then some of them, like Tullamore Dew, use malt and Irish pot still as the kind of the flavoring ingredient. Um, but in a lot of Irish whiskies that people have had at least that flavor is available even in a kind of a toned down sense but when you have one of the single pot still expressions like red breast the green spot uh, you really notice the difference and it's not even necessarily to do with flavor first so much as actual texture yeah. it's a very different feeling drink uh, even when it's blended down you know jemison uh has a kind of a, a slipperiness about it it's made it very popular um, you know they often bill it as a kind of a smoothness but really it's almost an echo of that that uh, single pot still texture, which when it's unblended is kind of, you know, they like to say creamy in their advertising, but it's not creamy. It's it's oily, mm -hmm. you know, and I know oily is not as pleasant a, a, a piece of culinary vocabulary, but it's much more accurate. It kind of feels almost like when you see oil on water, there's a certain kind of extra layer to it. It's a, it's a, 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 a heaviness about it. it. It kind of tumbles about the tongue more than um, you know, more than more than malt whiskey. It's it's almost like it was made from something slightly thicker than water. Um, and I think that's that's a key part of what makes a lot of Irish whiskies different, but again, makes single pot still as a style wholly different. And even among the various expressions of single pot still whiskey, um, texture is a big kind of point of differ differentiation uh, between them. So like, say, green spot when you drink it, it has this wonderful kind of um, mouth gripping sensation. You know, when you swallow, it feels like you've just licked the back of an envelope. It's a mm -hmm. kind of a, a, um, a stickiness. You know, it doesn't finish at the back of your throat like many, many other whiskies do. And it doesn't finish at the tip of your tongue. It kind of clings to your cheeks. Uh, where, say, John's Lane, which is another kind of old favorite, um, has a very almost chewable kind of texture when it's in your mouth. There's a certain weight. It's a kind of a knife and fork experience. Um, I think that's a big part of, of what makes the style unique. Uh, the other thing that the raw barley adds is is spice. And, you know, anyone who's had a, a good delivery can kind of uh, probably probably recall the flavor better than I can describe it because it's quite unique. It's, you know, it's spice, but it's not like the spice you get in American rye or in some other whiskeys. It's more of like a gingery kind of spice. Mm -hmm. It's like a spryness more than a spice, you know, a kind of a crackle. Um and the, the best way I've thought of describing this, if you kind of, if you drew a triangle between, say, ginger, uh, cut grass, or kind of more than cut grass, almost kind of Christmas tree, fern, that kind of, again, like crackling kind of, kind of resinous mm -hmm. uh, type, type bristle and licorice. And, you know, I mean, real licorice, like, like proper licorice plant. Uh, pot still spice exists somewhere in that kind of triangular no man's land. And some of them kind of push one way or the other. Um, but when you get a taste for it, it's very, very recognisable. And, you know, today, uh, single pot still is, is almost universally made from a mixture of malted barley and raw barley. And usually 
uh, very young barley, often called green barley. Um, but historically, those would have been the spines of Irish whiskey, but there also would have been other grains at play, wheat, oats, rye, um, and they all would have been kind of twisted and torqued by those two calling cards of the malt, which of course we can recognise from single malt whiskey as well, um, and, and the raw barley kind of spice. So, for instance, uh, there's a kind of an experimental cask maturing in Kilbegan at the moment, uh, more along those historical lines made from a mixture of malted barley, raw barley and rye, um, specifically 30% malt, 30% green barley and 40% rye. Um, and I remember tasting it, the whiskey hasn't been released yet, and there's a few of these kind of odd projects coming on stream. Um, but I remember tasting it and, you know, it was remarkable to see how the raw barley that is to this day such a, a signature aspect of Irish whiskey's personality uh, works so well with the rye grains, mm. two different types of spice kind of playing tag with each other. Um, but for your, your listeners, most of what you'll see out there at the moment is uh, raw barley and malt. But the landscape of Irish whiskey has changed tremendously in the last few years. And, you know, within the next few years, a lot of those projects will start kind of coming into bottles. And th- and that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you, you've uncovered all the, a lot of this in your research. Um, so that's uh, good to know. So single pot still um, Irish whiskey doesn't need to have just malted and unmalted barley. It can have other components in that mash bill as well, such as rye or oats or wheat. And, uh, and that, so that's correct. Like it can have other things in there. Yeah, cert- or certainly it's historically correct. You know, again, um, it, for the vast majority of its history, that would have been the case. Um, today, again, the style as as a style almost disappeared over the last hundred years, um, and that was originally a big part of what I was uh, looking into was the death of that that culture and that that landscape of mash bills, that landscape of distilleries, um, and what survived was kind of, you know, it's almost like what 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 was clutched when the building was on fire, and you know, the only two survivors were Redbreast and Greenspot, which are very classical, very. Um, both very beautiful mm-hmm. drinks in their own way, but again, uh, it would be as if you know um, bourbon was to disappear tomorrow, and you know somebody grabbed Booker's or something, mm-hmm. or you know Pappy, and uh, we had to kind of reconstruct everything else from the, these frail cues. Um, and um, so, at the moment, I, Irish pot still is raw barley and and malt, which would have been again the two, uh, especially the raw barley, would have been the differentiating point from Irish pot still and any other style on the planet. You know, it was what was most precious to the style. It's kind of the the, 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 the heart, the spine, and the memory of the drink is raw barley mixed with malt. Um, but it did have a little, a little, or a few more personality quirks once upon a time. And by the looks of it, will 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 again, um, which I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, oats would be another one that, you know, was almost uh, a kind of an iconic part of Irish distilling. Um, that you don't really see in whiskey today. Um, again, there's there's an oat project uh, coming out of Kilbeg, and there's a few people talking about doing it. But you know, if you ever have oatmeal stout, you know, you can see what a thickening agent oats oats are. You know, they they, they have a, a lovely kind of textural uh, possibility unto themselves. So you know, you, again, I'm I'm waiting as eagerly as anyone to to see what a mature pot still incorporating that into itself would taste like, but a lot of it's just guesswork. But what does frustrate me at the moment is 
you know, Irish whiskey sells itself in a very contemporary light, a very, um, and it breaks my heart when I, I hear a lot of um, single malt drinkers talk quite dismissively about uh, Irish whiskey, and not because they're being dismissive, but because they're they're speaking in the marketing phrases that the Irish have put out themselves, you know, the kind of, I think to survive Irish whiskey rebranded itself in the 70s and really the 80s as a smooth, palatable, uh, easier to drink version of scotch with all the peat left out. And, you know, that is wholly divorced from the actual heritage of single pots of whiskey, what Ireland would really have given to the whiskey world. And it's certainly out of step even with the survivors of that heritage, which for me, and I know for many real Irish whiskey fans would be a lot closer to the heart than, you know, triple distilled twice as smooth and these kinds of, you know, sing-along songs uh, that, that helped give Irish whiskey a global market share again. Um, and I think uh, there certainly are very, very sweet, very easy drinking Irish whiskies out there, but I'd hate to see uh, that become packaged as, as what, what actually put Irish distilling uh, on the map for, for, for most of its its history. So do you feel like uh, with how um, how much Irish whiskey is growing right now, uh, do you see that as like a possibility of, of sort of the next wave of Irish whiskey um, and maybe, you know, a part of its newfound popularity is this sort of experimental um, uh, getting away from that like sort of um, – thing that we've always heard which you just said was the like easy to drink very sort of extra smooth um almost like a gateway whiskey um does it feel over there like there is this um there's room for for it to sort of go into a new fun place like oh absolutely in fact i'd say there's more room for that than there is for more brands of right the smooth easy drinking whiskey you know uh, there's the, I'll put it this way, four years ago, there were about four distilleries in Ireland, really three and a half. Um, one was kind of an experimental batch wing for another one. Um, at the current moment, it's looking like there's about 30 wow. on the cards. You know, it's, it's, it's an absolute eruption. And I've talked to loads of these new distilleries and there's a spectrum there. You know, they're not all... Uh, they're not all in it for the long haul. You can tell which one's... Uh, cared about the whiskey more than uh, more than others, but among even if you slice off half, um, or even if you were to say a third of, of 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 the new operations, even that third have so much energy and so much passion about what they want the whiskey to taste like and how they want to make it that it will revolutionise the the look of Irish whiskey. And even the current distilleries that are out there, Middleton have done heaps. I mean, Middleton almost single-handedly, well, yes, single-handedly kept single pot still alive as a, as a style. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of energy in the liquid because if you put out another brand of the smooth, easy mm-hmm. drinking whiskey, you know, Jemison will still just shove out 4 million cases right. a year. Right. You know, there's no, there is no space for, for one of those. Whereas a lot of the new upstarts, uh, have come to terms with that very quickly and thought, well, okay, I, I won't compete with Jemison. I'll intentionally make an off-ball whiskey or off-the-wall whiskey. I'll make a heavier, spicier whiskey or I'll make uh, an oilier whiskey or I'll make a peated whiskey or I'll make, you know, um, there's a few people talking about doing peated single pasta, which has gone extinct uh, decades ago, in more than that. Um, 
there's a lot of interesting stuff happening, even uh, even among the best of of the uh, of the new guard. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's um, that's a fantastic story. It's it's also very similar to Canadian whiskey, where we you know we kind of got stuck with that word smooth, um, and so much has changed in the last year. So when we did this podcast a year ago uh, for St. Patrick's Day, we um, you know there was only several distilleries at the time that was open. We knew there were going to be a bunch more, um, and we were really kind of talking about like, well, if all the distilleries just kind of put out the same stuff like Jameson does, nothing wrong with Jameson, but just as everything's kind of goes for smooth, approachable. Um, I have concerns. I, I mean, like, how is the how is you know the whiskey industry going to survive, and um, if that's the case? Um, but you know, like, so much has changed, and now we're hearing about all these really interesting, great products. Um, we have a, a user question. Uh, Jared uh, Bened. Oh man, I'm going to just mess up this name. Jared uh, Benediga. 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 Yes. Uh, anyway, Jared asked if um, who do you give credit to Single Pot Still uh, for being al- alive all these years? Because um, you know, I mean, one of the one of the facts that, that you always hear around Irish whiskeys in the '70s, there was only two distilleries. Um, how you know how it almost died off? You had really Middleton uh, holding the ground there for the longest time, and Bushmills as well. Um, so, who do you credit to Pot Still whiskey still being a thing that, that holding on to that? Because as you mentioned, Scotland also had a similar style, but they they dropped that long ago. Yeah, although, I mean, when, when I say Scotland dropped it long ago, I mean a long, long, long time ago, and, <laughs> and before it even kind of turned into what it is. Um, you know, Scotland found ways of dodging the malt tax as well, um, which early on involved using raw barley and wheat. Um, however, what, what took hold in Scotland instead um, was basically you got a line very clearly emerging between the lowland distilleries and the highland distilleries. Uh, and the Highlanders would just make the whiskey illegally and pay no ruddy tax to anybody. Uh, and the lowland distilleries started using, you know, they were under tremendous pressure because they were closely observed uh, by Edinburgh officialdom or by, by Glasgow uh, tax collectors, etc. So they had to comply to the letter of the law. So they weren't just using raw barley. They were doing pretty much everything they could do to stay afloat, which included like, using broad, low, shallow stills, running the stills as fast as possible, taking poisonously wide cuts. Uh, hmm. You know, the, the drinks that came out were, were infamously un, 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 unconsumable, uh, which led to a, a, an emerging market for uh, smuggled Highland Highland whiskey. Um, so it's funny, now we talk about, about the lowland the lowland ladies the the light delicate lowlanders but if you look back into the history actually what lowland whiskey was originally famous for was just making industrial hooch um there were two big families in particular the the Hagues and the steens uh who came over to ireland as well you know it was more connected than um than than we 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 kind of remember from our kind of nationalized mutual histories today um but these two would have been the first uh major customers of coal in scotland they were the first uh, purchasers of the of the steam engine um, the uh, the first major railroad in Scotland connected two of their sites together you know they were they were industrialists and in Scotland you had that kind of industrial uh, kind of rot gut in the south um, and then you had this this emerging kind of malt tradition in the highlands whereas what happened in Ireland you know that that almost happened here I mean Je- John Jemison was was married to Isabella Haig and um, you know there was a lot of kind of uh, corporate incest as it were um going on 
But uh, a man named John Beersford, who was a, a tax regulator in Ireland, um, basically said, look, there's, uh, there's no money to be got out of trying to tax the illegal distillers, these moonshiners uh, in the west of Ireland. Uh, the, the poorest of the rural poor. No man has made a fortune by that trade. And he was, he was absolutely right. There was no tax to be gotten. He said, instead, what we'll do is we'll regulate the legal industry. So he passed a few laws, uh, for instance, that a still could not be uh, wider than it was tall. Uh, and he rewarded an economy of scale based on um, how how bulbous the pot stills were. And he gave rebates. So it encouraged a certain... Uh, a certain quality it made legal selling a very unwelcoming trade for people who weren't well financed, but at least it also created a certain quality standards of look, if you are making legal whiskey, uh, it is, it is quite drinkable. And I think it's not so much that Scotland had single pot still and dropped it. Even from that Genesis story, you know, what could have happened in Scotland didn't and what could have happened in Ireland didn't. Uh, and it's really, as far as I can, I can read, uh, down to down to regulations, down to very unromantic circumstances, but that given 300 years kind of boil two different cauldrons very separately and you get, you know, this kind of ultra peaty west of Scotland, Hebridean uh, malt emerging, which seems to have been very much what was done in the, the northwest of Ireland, places like Donegal, um, but it wasn't allowed to thrive in Ireland, whereas mm. it did thrive in Scotland and vice versa. Um, but anyway, back to your, your actual question. I'm sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Um, the um, let's let's let that cauldron boil for a little while, and you know uh, when you get to the the halcyon days of Irish whiskey, you know in the eighteen eighties, Irish whiskey was selling three times as many cases as uh, or three cases of Irish whiskey were being sold in London to every case of Scotch. Uh, in the eighteen sixties, uh, Irish whiskey was actually selling outselling Scotch in 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 Edinburgh, uh, which is you know a terrifying fact. I I, I picked that up. Um, Charles McLean has a a wonderful book on the history of Scotch whiskey, and I got that straight from the horse's mouth. But, you know, it's staggering how how successful it was. And it wasn't actually the the whiskey that we we too often see as Irish today. You know, uh, when people talk about the story of of Irish whiskey, they're often talking about the story of the Irish whiskey business um, rather than the story of the evolving liquid itself. You know, what's actually in the snifter? Um, which would have changed over the course of, of, of time. But back then, it would have been a drink much more in the line of single pot still. In fact, most of it would have been what we now call single pot still whiskey. Um, and that, that same density, that same viscosity uh, would have done it all kinds of services at the point because, you know, before the 1860s, the the drink of choice of the British Empire was, was brandy, cognac if you could get it. Um, and the 1860s, the phylloxera bug comes over from North America, wipes out France, wipes out Northern Italy, wipes out Portugal, wipes out Spain. You know, wine becomes extremely difficult to find and, and distilled wine becomes almost impossible. Um, and in the, the kind of the snifters of the hoi polloi of the, the, or well, the, of the, 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 um, the upper middle class to the, the aristocrats of the, um, of the British Empire, uh, Irish whiskey kind of fills the void and it would have been a denser beverage. It would have been a different imagination of what Irish whiskey was supposed to be. And that really doomed it to a certain extent. You know, um, in the 20th century up to the 1950s, I was finding records in the Doyle in, in Irish Parliament where, you know, there's a very famous Irish uh, Prime Minister, uh, Sean Lamass. Um, he wasn't Prime Minister at the time, he was Minister for Industry, but he's arguing 
uh, with a fellow named Jack McQuillan about the whiskey industry. And Jack McQuillan is saying, look, uh, these ruddy Irish distillers don't realise what's good for them. Uh, they keep making this heavy, oily pot still stuff and the Scots are selling light blends and they're sweeping the globe. We need to compete with them. And, you know, the whole imagination at the time was that Irish whiskey was too dense and too heavy and that nobody wanted it for that reason. And it was, you know, it was re reimagined in the light of of Irish uh, blended whiskey when they finally started using column stills, when they finally started u- making blends on, on any sort of scale. Um, and they, they re-pitched it to the world as light, as unpeated, as easy drinking. Um, and when it's blended, that pot still oil does become quite slippery. And of course, the survivors were all unpeated, so that worked out very well. Um, and they, they turned the table, as it were, because keep in mind, at the same time, that this was going on, the world didn't drink Laphroaig. The world drank blended scotch. The world drank a lighter version of scotch. And it's only in the 70s and really the 80s that single malts come on tap in any sort of kind of scale outside of Scotland. Uh, and it's it's hilarious that now we, we, we get, you know, people who have been turned on to single malt scotch outside the world looking back at Irish whiskey and say, well, that's all very, very light, but I'm, I'm a single malt man. And, you know, one of the, the, the damning uh, factors there was that single pot still refused to blend for so long. Um, in fact, the name single pot still or pure pot still, as it was originally called, um, you know, it's a great Irish joke that, uh, as I was telling someone else quite recently, that, you know, a, a drink uh, named after its a drink defined by its mash bill is named after its still. But in large part, that came from just a hatred in which the people using that mixed mash. Uh, regarded blended whiskey in general. Uh, they wrote a very angry book in the 1870s called Truths About Whiskey, uh, where they basically said it was it was uh, column still single grain whiskey was was not whiskey at all, and blended whiskey was literally whiskey adulterated. You know, you've ruined your your Highland malt by pouring it in there. You've ruined your your Irish pot still by by mixing it with this stuff. Um, so it's 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 you know there has to be a circle of hell that was reserved for them for which they would lose their business on this kind of moral high ground and then be reimagined you know John Jemison John Powers these men were were pot still fanatics you know all these brands were pot stills and they finally in the sixties and seventies they they blend uh, to survive um, and it's only now that that Irish whiskey is is um, is rediscovering that heritage in a big way and I think. The, the answer to, 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 to that question would be uh, Middleton all along seemed to have had a belief in pot still, you know, uh, at the same time that they were selling these marketing pitches, they were they were very much setting us, you know, like, for instance, we have Redbreast 21 out at the moment. Uh, I remember talking to to uh, Brian Nation, the, the head distiller down there. He was saying, you know, there's components that are 28 years old. So, you know, even about 30 years ago, there was there was stock being set aside or being um, being cultivated, and they were uh, Middleton are quite a strange distiller because they actually make you know a range of different distillates uh, using the again that that principle of mixture, but also the um, the, the running of the still itself, different levels of reflux, different spirits, cuts and whatnot. Um, and it came seemingly from a, a, a an endeavour to preserve as many different styles of Irish pot still as possible because they were all disappearing. Um, so, you know, they have, for instance, um, there's what they call light pot or mod pot or MP3 or MP4. Uh, then they have one called trad pot, which people might, like myself go nuts over, the, 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 the heaviest, oiliest stuff that they make. Um, but, you know, even the trad pot that they make isn't as heavy as some of the stuff that was there before. Um, but there was that, 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 that range of pot still spirits that they set aside. So, you know, you see the, uh, 
the range available today, like Greenspot, Redbreast, and John's Lane, these are all coming from the same company. There is a certain kind of false set of mirrors at work, but at the same time, they aren't the same liquid. They are, you know, you have these, say, five different styles of distillate, which then they use cask work to kind of quirk into other expressions again, and then they kind of mix back in different percentages and whatnot. So they, they play this instrument with quite a, a degree of kind of uh, virtuosity unique to themselves. Um, but uh, I'd say at the core of that distillery, you'd get people like Barry Crockett who would have uh, hung, hung on to that, uh, that heritage very, very closely. Um, you know, when, when you get to the people on the ground in the distillery, Billy Layton, um, these guys, uh, you know, they do speak with a tremendous amount of sincerity about, about the spirit. Of course, the, the, the heavy hitter will always be Jemison. Um, but aside from them, I'd say the critics also have played a tremendous role. You know, uh, back when there were only two, what was then called pure pot stills left in existence, uh, you know, people, people like Peter Mulryan, Michael Jackson, all these were, were uh, howling at the moon for more of this stuff for a good, you know, 20 years before we saw the kind of the current renaissance that we're, we're starting to see today. Um, and I think among whiskey lovers in Ireland, uh, there was a certain, a certain, uh, almost hostility towards, uh, again, the, the triple distilled twice as smooth line. You know, I'm, I'm very involved in something called the Irish Whiskey Society, which is a kind of a, a non-profit whiskey lovers club in Ireland. And, you, you know, it's a great place to see the kind of the trenches of Irish whiskey culture because it's all people who are, you know, they're, they're not selling a product. They're just uh, people who enjoy a good whiskey. And you hear the, the, the gossip on the floor in, in those tastings. And, you know, nobody is, is none of these kind of, true believers in Irish whiskey are remotely interested in the kind of the, the sales pitches, you know, it's, it, mm. it tends to be things like pot still. Um, or again, there's a number of interesting single malts that were made in Ireland all through this, this history. Um, but it's, it's a staggering, it's a staggering change. So like, you know, when you talk about Scotch whiskey, the, the big book for the history of Scotch is Alfred Barnard's, the, the, the whiskey distillers of the United Kingdom, uh, where he goes across Scotland in the 1880s and 1886 um, and he writes, you know, about Talisker and the Freud and all of these places uh, at the, as he visits them. And, you know, now these distilleries look back at them, back at these records and say, well, this is what we were like in Victorian times. When you get to the Irish section of the book, um, it's far more depressing because none of these places exist. Mm. Um, and you're looking at what might have been, what might have grown in the way that, like, Kleinleash survived and grew today. Um and, you know, you get places like Bandon, Monaster Evan, Comber, which seem to have been legendary at the time. Um, and when he gets to John's Lane, on the far side of Scotland and several Irish distillers, he drinks one of the John's Lane pot stills and says it's the finest whiskey he's hitherto tasted. Mm. Um, you know, and he, he goes across this landscape. And for instance, when he goes to Monaster Evan, he's drinking double distilled, single pot still. Um, and he describes it as being kind of fat and fat and creamy. And of course, uh, triple distillation, which was popular in Alfred Barnard's time in Ireland, uh, but was by no means universal, seems to have actually come in uh, as a way of, first of all, of getting more alcohol out of the single pot still procedure because it was lower yielding. And before you had kind of enzymes and things uh, and kind of monitored uh, contemporary facilities, um, it was hard enough to make this 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 work so you know the third distillation would a up the alcohol yield and b uh i mean single pot still as a drink as i was saying is, is fundamentally weightier it's it's more viscous than malt whiskey even when it's triple distilled so double distilled malt or double distilled pot still would theoretically be heavier again 
And when I could get them, I was uh, hunting down samples of not only the current single pots, but the dead ones. So, you know, I managed to get some Cumber. I managed to get some uh, Nuns Island, Galway pot still, you know, these various, various places. And Cumber uh, was probably double distilled. They had four stills in two different buildings. So, you know, there's the possibility. He doesn't actually say whether they're double or triple distilling, but, you know, the logic speaks to, to double distillation because you don't expand in sets of two. Uh, if you're triple distilling, yeah. um, and I remember trying this, and it was you know it was weightier again. It was it was uh, it, uh, it was almost like you get it had the, the sweetness, but not the the fruity sweetness. The kind of the almost like slightly resinous sweetness of some of the older space ciders mixed with that pot still weight. It was a, a drink that just doesn't exist anymore. And you know, it's sad to look back. At, I mean, it's frustrating to look at the current landscape of Irish whiskey, which has so many kind of strange expressions on the offer. And to hear people still ask for just uh, the familiar calling cards. Um, If that's frustrating, it's just depressing to look at that landscape. You know, when Alfred Barner came here, there were 28 distilleries. um, And only two of them would have been making or devoted to making uh, what we what we now call single malt whiskey. You know, a few calling stills aside, the rest were, were, were making were making this stuff. And, you know, you fast forward the clock, say, 100 years after Alfred Barnard, there's only two brands left in existence, you know, uh, one of which is only sold at a specific wine shop in Dublin. You know, the, 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 and when I first started drinking, there were still uh, only, only the two of them left. There's now Middleton have put out their range and there's other distilleries. The craft distilling wave have taken a tremendous interest in style. And I've had plenty of new make from across these places. There's a tremendous amount of energy uh, in in Irish whiskey at the moment, but when when all of that comes to fruition in you know I'm guessing about six years, uh, the landscape of Irish whiskey again will look irreversibly different. But funnily enough, it will look presumably closer to what it used to look like. You know, uh, so are we moving forwards or backwards, or or you know both hand in hand in kind of st- strange movements? Well, is there uh, is there something that you're particularly excited about, like that you just like? are like chomping at the bit for six years to come to fruition um, to, to get your hands on on some of it or is there a lot or is there you know, or, few, is, or is there many there's, there's there's a lot of the the problem is again they're, they're in different waves you get some distilleries who have already started making spirit you get some that have a still but no no whiskey yet so all i can do is talk to them about their plants you get some who are just saying they're going what they're going to do and they've no facility yet so you know it's hard to tell who who means what they say but from from a lot of what's right. said, there's there's a tremendous amount of energy there. But even even all that aside, or even the, the very f- new wave aside, um, there's some some fantastic pot stills uh, currently maturing. I've had the Dingle pot still spirit, and it has almost a kind of a you know uh, almost a hedgy type smell to it. It's kind of like you know you hear the term floral a lot, but this isn't like smelling the roses so much as the bush. You know, it's a kind of a, a, a sap and resin kind of kind of kind of edge to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still has that strangely floral uh, uh, kind of kind of sweetness on top of that. Um, you have the the teeling uh, single pot still uh, spirit. Actually, they, they they were kind enough to bring as were Dingle uh, a bottle of, of new make to the the book launch and kind of passed around a, a bottle of clear liquid to you know toast mm. the the future. And I remember trying the stuff that they're actually cooking up in, in Teeling. It's like cream of ginger soup. You know, it was a, a, a completely different drink. But of the maturing casks at the moment that I've had, the one that I'm most excited about is the Kilbegan Rye uh, single pot still. It's, it's, it's such a natural combination. 
um, I'm, I'm very, and it was done quite quite a while ago. It was done just before, so Kilbegan was owned by the Cooley Distillery, and Cooley as a whole was sold to Jim Beam Global, who are now part of Suntory. Uh, so who knows in layers of corporate strata what they intend to do with this, or if they know it's still there, you know, beyond the guys in Kilbegan, except beyond <laughs> the Irish guys. Um, but uh, I would be very excited about that. But there's a lot of people saying they're, 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 they're saying what they want to do. Um, there's there's a, two distilleries out in Mayo who are talking about peat and the possibility of peat at Potsdale, which, you know, would be, again, that's that's a, a dead end of Irish whiskey's history. That's, 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 that's vanished because all that survived was Redbreast and Greenspot from that, that once far more intricate tapestry. And even those were, you know, classics of world whiskey. Um, uh, and, you know, now you see uh, Redbreast, which f- for years can only be bought as a 12-year-old. One of my favourite whiskies currently out is Redbreast Cast Strength. When you get this actually as um, not only, you know, with all the advantages cast strength bottlings tend to provide in terms of flavour preservation, but also because it, I have a, a soft spot for cast strength single pasta whiskey because it's just such a paradox. Because, you know, when you drink something at high alcohol, it's a mouth drying sensation. It's a, you know, a, um, but single pot still is a mouth wetting sensation. It's a very oily experience. So when you have something like the red breast cast strength, it's almost like it's scarring your mouth with ethanol and then filling in the wounds with, you know, the dried up wounds with, with oils. It's a very strange uh, texture alone. Um, so there's a lot happening both within Middleton and what they're doing with single pot still and the upstarts who are looking to challenge that, you know, and I think they feed on each other. I think uh, Middleton has been pushed by the existence of these these craft distilleries uh, to make more interesting. Mean, the, the number of releases in the single apostle category is, is it would be unthinkable 10 years ago when you know we were lucky enough to have two and one of which was was, was you know barely distributed in Ireland. Um, so it's, it's amazing to see that brought forward. So I don't think any single individual uh, you know rescued the genre. Um, you had people like Jim Murray, uh, you had critics Dave Broom, um, and more recently, you know, uh, a number of, of critics in America, in in Ireland itself, uh, have 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 taken taken single pot still on as a, as a kind of a project. But there was also that side on the on the far side of the still house. I think the distillers uh, Barry Crockett and then Brian after him, and of course Billy and um, uh, Barry Walsh. Uh, when he was still there, there, there was a lot of groundwork done years ago to, to keep that that in place. But I think it's that that foil of what the distilleries were doing and what the critics or the whiskey lovers were demanding, you know. And uh, I think that again, the sales pitches uh, saved Irish whiskey uh, in a kind of a in the punchline to a bad joke, really. And uh, the, the 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 newly imagined Irish blend pulled Irish whiskey out of out of uh, the tomb of its own kind of. Uh, reluctances and um, and has made all of this financially possible you know um, when you look at say single malt scotch whiskey these tiny single malt distilleries around the highlands don't exist because people drink you know mortlock or, or dalu and they, they exist because Diageo require mortlock as a blending ingredient or people come to dalu and with a check looking for flavoring for their blend or whatever you know 90% of whiskey sold is blended whiskey and in Ireland even even larger percentage um and in Scotland those those subsidize the malts and what and you know I don't mean to 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 rubbish blended whiskey in any way I don't mean you know compass box I mean big market big shelf blends that business very much forms the base of the pyramid and 
I think it, you know what happened in Ireland is Ireland realised too late what that what was going on, and when it finally uh, went after that that base of the pyramid, it did so with a new imagination of what Irish whiskey should be, and we got a few threadbare reminders of what it used to be going hand in hand with that. Mm-hmm. And then a few just experimentalists like, you know, Cooley making peated malt uh, from the 80s onwards, you know, going completely against the grain of, of any of this this story. And I think that's important too. But I think all of those elements kind of feed on each other. One makes, like, for instance, without the existence of Jemison, you know, uh, Irish whiskey is the fastest growing spirit on the planet at the moment. But really, that's that's four million cases of Jemison. Right. Then it's, you know, the, the, the number two is Tullamore, which is one million cases. Right. Um, and... Uh, they make possible this whole craft resurgence. But at the same time, I think the existence of these outsider distillers encourages companies like Irish distillers to also produce, you know, creative pot stills as well. They kind of, you know, pinch each other enough that it, that it gets the whole thing, whole thing moving over time. Um, I, I had the uh, Redbreast 12 cast strength a couple of times uh, last, last time within last month, and it, it, is, it is really a fantastic, fantastic uh, whiskey. Um, tell us what you're drinking today. We, we normally oh, do this yeah. earlier in the show, but what have you, what have you been – because i got to tell you, i got to warn you, I, I think Jamie and I are a little bit boring in our choices, um, only because yeah, Irish whiskey doesn't come around here as often as we would like. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure you're drinking because we we're, I think we're both drinking Brighter Steers. Yeah. Uh, pot still, okay. um, and that's what we have. Uh, I just read out of Redbreast Twelve, so I'm very saddened by that. Ooh, I got to pick up some more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but tell us what you're drinking. Um, I'm drinking a, a type of green spot called Green Spot uh, Chateau Leoville Barton. Um, it's a, a special release Green Spot did quite recently. Um, taking Green Spot and finishing it in cast that used to hold. Uh, Claret that used to hold um, Bordeaux red wine, mm. and you know Green Spot is a very peculiar brand um, because it, it never actually had a distillery. It never belonged to a distillery. It belonged to a wine shop, um, which is partly how it survived. You know, Green Spot um, is almost a historical accident. Uh, originally, a lot of Irish whiskey would have been sold to wine shops, uh, and the wine shops would have sold it under their under their own label. Uh, Gilby's, for instance, Redbreast began as a wine shop label for for Gilby's, the the London wines and spirits merchant, um, and Mitchell's was kind of the old established uh, or establishment uh, wine shop in kind of Victorian Dublin, and they really controlled a lot of the sherry casks as well coming in. So you know every every distillery in Dublin wanted to be in the good books of Mitchell's um, because you know you'd get you'd get the better cast and then hand it back so it was kind of a I rub your shoulder you rub mine and then Mitchell's could have some fine pot still whiskey on the shelf that was exclusive to them and uh, they used to paint the casks to show a what was in them and b what they thought the aging potential was there was a whole intricate system that used to involve you know red spot blue spot yellow spot green spot um, and they had these subterranean cellars under Dublin they're still there they're not in use anymore um, it's now owned by a doctor a fellow named Dr. Donald Buckley and um I contacted him when I was writing the book and asked if he would let me down there because uh, he, he basically bought a property from Mitchell's which came with a trap door into this kind of underground vault and uh, it's like walking into something from, you know, a film noir. It's these just tunnels intersecting with other tunnels with, you know, paint on the wall showing what barrels would have gone where and underneath the city the pot still would have would have aged. Um, but anyway... Uh, when other Irish brands like Powers or like Jemison became blends, uh, Mitchell's just very quietly pointed to their contract and said, "No, we'd, we'd like to get what we're 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 always getting. You know, we have always been getting." Um, now it it is a different drink today than it was then. It's 
it's got a lot more bourbon cask working in it these days, which of course before the Second World War, bourbon cask wouldn't have existed in Ireland or Scotland. Um, but uh, you know the, the differences are almost aren't the point. The difference is the, the it's the the fact that the single pot was, was retained on this shelf, and you know Green Spot, uh, very beloved by uh, kind of hardcore Irish whiskey lovers since time and more. You know Samuel Beckett and all of these guys. Um, but one thing I, I love to see now is that Mitchells have really played up their position as a wine shop uh, to take single pot still and kind of cast on similar kind of um, similar projects that. Uh, so, for instance, are you guys there? Yeah, we're here. Hello. Oh, sorry. There was. Uh, I'm sure you can edit that out. Uh, I've got some sort of X came up on the screen. Um, the um, Mitchells have really played on their their role as a wine shop to take that same kind of veil of interesting cask work that I think has made its way into single malt in a big way recently, and to kind of put that with single pot still flavors. Now, of course, there's a lot of bad exotic casks out there in in malt whiskey. Uh, you know, you get mediocre whiskey put into an exotic wine finish and then you know that's supposed to kind of cover up the flaws and you know i'm sure the more single pot stills there are the more this will kind of creep into irish whiskey at the moment but at the moment a lot of that is coming from mitchell's and they do a very good job of it a very selective job um because they're not just using exotic wines but they're they're using their existing contacts with the wine world to kind of make artful choices so this is a green spot that was finished in a leoville barton uh wine cask and, you know, um, in Ireland, there's a term called the wild geese. And the wild geese are, it's, you know, in a general sense, it means a kind of immigrant or emigrant done well. Um, it originally comes from Irish exiles who went abroad to Europe and became kind of high up in the, you know, the armies of people like Napoleon or um, whatever. Um, and, uh, but, but even now, people talk about the wild geese uh, as kind of people who, who flew the coop. But there was a, even at the t- even during the 1700s, uh, there was this idea of the wine geese. There was a number of Irish families that went into exile and started up vineyards in France, most famously the Hennessy's, you know, the, the, the Hennessy Cognac, um, which is why it has an Irish name on a French, a French liquor. Um, but um, I see, like, for instance, uh, and they've all been kind of francicized since then, so you get, like, Chateau Lynch or uh, Chateau Clark, and these are all Irish names, Lynch, Clark, you know, probably would have been Barton before it was Barton. Um, but... Um, Anyway, uh, they they you know they'd be in a very kind of prestigious uh, bracket of of French red wine in Bordeaux at the moment. So they did quite an interesting kind of coupling with Green Spot. And what it does when you give it a smell, it's it takes that same Green Spot. You know, Green Spot has a very almost kind of green apple streak to those gingery spices. It, it's a certain freshness you don't get in say Redbreast. Um, Green Spot in the 90s used to be a very gingery drink, a very menthol, a very licorice drink. Um, the Green Spots of today are much sweeter. Um, the, um, and uh, it's still not, not, not sweet whiskey, but they are sweeter than they were, for better or for worse. Um, I'd love to, to see them kind of play backwards into that older style as well. But taking that, that current state of green spot, that, that more green apple, that more slightly honeyed edge on the ginger kind of crackle, um, they've taken this red wine veil and it, it, the, the whole thing starts to taste almost like strawberries. You know, that, that mixture of those, those kind of fresh crackles and that red wine kind of, kind of uh, flavor. It's, it's not even strawberries so much as berries in general. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a, a, 
it's not a fruitiness in the sense that you get like lush fruits. It's a kind of a slightly too sharp, slightly too um, too taut to be to be that kind of fruit. And then when you have it again, you get the same kind of pot still weight, but with this like wine element given given that same that same oil. Um, hold on, let me take a sip. <laughs> it's like drinking moss. It's such a bizarre drink. Um, but um, it's become it's um, funny enough. It's it's not in the book I wrote. This doesn't have this because this has come out too recently. Um, it's a very new expression, but it's one that I've taken a very quick liking to. Um, and certainly in terms of cask work in whiskey today uh, across the world, but especially in in single pot still, I think this is a real a real winner. Yeah, Jamie, this is like very exciting. I'm I'm so excited to taste more uh, the whiskey coming from Ireland. I think the um, the, just these concepts uh, that nobody else is doing, and it kind of goes back to you know a common theme through the podcast uh, where you'll have you know in in Kentucky they'll tr- you know work with different mash bills to create different flavors, and you'll have rye heavy bourbons, and then you know the focus on actual ryes, not like kind of easy ryes that are like fifty one percent rye. Yeah, uh, exactly. You, yeah, they... you have those kind of more character driven ninety ninety five hundred percent ryes. Um, but I guess the question, and, and Finn, maybe you're not, you know, I don't know if you're, you're ready to answer this or not, but um, what's going to happen with single malt scotch? I mean, here you have an industry that's, that's 100% committed to one recipe, uh, 100% malted barley, um, you know, and the separation there is still sizes and aging and, and, and maturation mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But um, what's going to happen to single malt scotch? It, it almost seems like they, they're not they're, They've pigeonholed themselves in a very specific flavor profile. Um, they've got a lot of competition coming from Ireland. I mean, this is going to be a whole more character driven whiskey. And I think that's where people want to go. And I think I'll add to this, but I'll let you answer. Um, I think people want an authentic character driven whiskey. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about adding honey flavoring or, right. or, you know, Any maple flavoring, flavoring or, or, or hops or whatever else. We're talking about authentic products, um, that are, that are historically relevant. So, um, how single malt scotch can compete? Um, well, you know, and I, I say this, I'm a great lover of single malt scotch as well. Um, but, and it's, it's funny, you know, I think malted barley, when compared to corn or when compared to rye, is a very soft grain. It's a very subtle grain. Um, you know, when you have a bourbon, there's, a, there's an immediate kind of thumbprint from the corn or even from the subsidiary grains, whatever they may be. Um, but it seems to be very versatile at kind of coping with other flavors at absorbing what well, literally absorbs smoke um but as you say there's uh they are all made from exactly the same mash bill um which when we take whiskey to its theoretical kind of definition you know distilled grain uh they're all using the same kind of beer i mean maybe they're from you know using a different yeast or fermenting it for different periods but um there's a lot more out there that I think it remains, in some cases, wildly unexplored. Um, at the same time, I think they're onto a winner with the single malt concept. Malted barley is a very deep grain. It, it has a very um, wide palette of flavours that it can kind of absorb into itself. And I don't think the single malt category is under any real threat um, because it's become... But, you know, then there's the question of single malt scotch because the single malt has been kind of picked up by the rest of the world. You now get single malts coming out of Japan. Well, you, you know, for a long time, we've had them coming out of Japan, but now like uh, Australia or Germany or Oregon or, you know, um, so it's almost, you know, single malt scotch is almost threatened by its own success on a, on a number of levels. One, it's sold the single malt concept to the world as kind of the, the, 
pre- premium whiskey, and then the world ate it up and is now now making it. Um, and uh, at the same time, I think that the Scotch business is in many ways a victim of its own success. You see the word innovation increasingly used to mean, uh, you know, well, we don't have as much older stock as we used to, so we'll come up with a sellable product by other means, or, you know, and I don't mean that as a, a slur to some of the, the, the very intentionally well or intentionally young uh, malts out there, because I know people can talk very dismissively about uh, non-age statement whiskies, but at the same time, increasingly, uh, they're being given a reason to, because these are, when you get past the branding, just ways of dealing with a financial problem. And, you know, as you said, with the honey, you know, there's a lot of what's being called innovation in whiskey today. That's innovation in a boardroom, basically Mm -hmm. either cutting corners or finding a way to make a process, you know, more profitable and and, uh, less kind of less labor intensive or less financially taxing or whatever. Um, And then you get a lot of innovation coming, as you say, from people, people in North America just kind of messing around with mash bills or distilling beers or, uh, you know, playing with, with what can be done from a flavor possibility. And I, I think, uh, you know, almost as a kind of an echo to the craft beer, uh, scene, there's, there's a lot more people demanding that kind of integrity from a flavor perspective. So, you know, uh, too often the way I hear it talked about is they say, Oh, well, um, uh, you know, do we do we innovate or or not? This you know the word innovation can be superimposed on so many different ideas, and I think the problem with single malt Scotch whiskey at the moment is that a lot of people who are in charge of it, um, you know, you get some wonderful exceptions, but there's a lot of people who have a lot invested in the category for whom innovation does not mean what it means to you and me, you know, mm-hmm. and I think uh, far more than the success of Irish single pot still whiskey. Scotch needs to guard itself against that that kind of uh, boulevard because you know there's nothing nothing pleasant on the other side. Um, but uh, <laughs> at the same time, you know, Irish whiskey yeah. as a whole is a blip on the screen to, to Scotch whiskey. You know, I think Scotch is, is utterly unthreatened by um, by by the success of Irish whiskey, and in in many cases, the success of Irish whiskey is probably an echo of the global appetite for whiskey largely created by the success of Scotch whiskey. Um, and, you know, even from a commercial point of view, you know, uh, again, I hear people talk about the Irish market share and all this. I'm, I mean, I'm not a, a merchant. I don't own a distillery. You know, I wish them all luck, but I could, you know, in many cases, give a damn uh, to, to that. Those kinds of financial uh, propellants, what I want to see is more good whiskey, wherever it comes from, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I live in Ireland, and I, I uh, have had a, a large amount of exposure to this style. So, I, you know, what I was trying to do with, with a glass apart was just uh, make enough noise to make sure this kind of flavor-driven whiskey is, is protected. Um, but I'd like to see that really everywhere, you know, Scotland included. But is, is so insofar as time goes, um, I want to be mindful of your time. And uh, I think we've got a lot. Uh, but there is one question I want to ask before before we wrap it up and that is Finn what are your plans for uh St. Patrick's Day tomorrow um what are you drinking where are you going I... uh I'm actually avoiding the city center <laughs> like a plague <laughs> 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 uh, 
it's impossible to get a drink in Dublin in Saint Patrick's I... on Saint Patrick's Day. Um, so I, I'm staying comfortably at home. Hey. <laughs> the, uh, I, uh, I, I, I spend enough time wandering around Dublin on other other days of the week uh, of other months of the calendar. Um, the uh, um, I have uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll reaffirm my. Uh, my my uh, interest in in the spirit at the day, the next day maybe <laughs> but, uh, tomorrow tomorrow I'm just gonna sit home and you know watch a film or something I'm, yeah the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, that sounds like the best St Patrick's Day is the national day drinking day really I mean we uh, Jamie and I uh, are going to be lining up at a oh. at an Irish pub at I'm already in the upset about it like I really don't want to go like I am not interested <laughs> in tomorrow at all. Honestly, I really, I can't. I don't want anyone to barf on my shoes. Like, I just am not. I'm just, I'm going because all my friends are going and I don't want to be left out. But I'm going to roll my eyes the whole time. <laughs> so why don't you tell us then, uh, what are we celebrating on St. Patrick's Day tomorrow as we drink green beer and, and, ah. I, and I, I, I know and have shots. Ah. I am not... Both of these things we will be avoiding because we're adults now, Jamie. We, we, we definitely right. will be avoiding green beer and, and shots um, because we're too old yeah. for that. Yeah. However, uh, what, what are we celebrating? Uh, a Welsh missionary coming over to Ireland. You know, I, I'll put it this way. Once upon a time, St. Patrick's Day would actually have been a dry holiday. Um uh, rigorously so it was a, a holy day um so maybe celebrating your personal liberty that you know you can stand in the street <laughs> and conspicuously knock back as much alcohol as you as you please uh, the, um, the, uh, there's plenty to celebrate there uh, <laughs> that's actually true uh if you look at it say say patrick probably if anything, hurt whiskey sales in Ireland. Yeah, there you go. So that's what we're celebrating tomorrow. Um, and, uh... and and rightly so, you know, I'm, I'm glad in 2016 I can, you know, make an arse of myself in public and, and I won't you know, be arrested. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, depending on, on, on how, I, how I display that, but, you know, they, they, what, there's still, still limits even today, but... Uh, but nobody's going to arrest me for having a drink. That's right. Uh. That's right. <laughs> oh amazing, God. amazing. Yeah. Well, I think the other the other thing I think I, I need to commit to is uh, we, um, you know, I, I think we always we like having we like love talking about Irish whiskey around St. and St. Patrick's Day and and everything else. But we need to have you back on. And I know you and I have been in communication yeah. for the past few months, and we just kind of the schedules just never worked out. Uh, but we got to have you back on yeah. at, uh, at another time because really Irish whiskey, drink Irish whiskey all year um, round, all year, all round. day long, uh, <laughs> not not just in the month of March. Um, but uh, there's so much more to talk about yeah. uh, about Irish whiskey and the history, um, and I'm looking forward to having you back on for that. I'd I'd love to join you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For cheers. Sure. All right, cheers, Finn. Thank you <laughs> so much. So, um, Finn O'Connor, you can get his book on Amazon and pretty much anywhere else. Uh, it's a glass apart Irish single pot still whiskey. Uh, wonderful book. Uh, please do help support authors. Um, as you know, I uh, whiskey whiskey writing is a big thing for me. So uh, please support the authors and buy some books and and all yeah, that good stuff. Read. Ugh. 
Cheers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Read a book. Cheers. Thanks, Finn. Thanks, Finn. Thank you both very much. Cheers. Cheers. That was great, you guys. That was super fun. That was awesome, Finn. You did, you did so great. You did amazing. Um, oh, my gosh. You're super engaging. I was totally riveted. Like, it's so great, and it's so great that you – um, are breaking Irish whiskey down from that, like the piece that we all are so familiar with, which the, you know, the brand ambassadors push constantly, which is that, that like very light, very approachable, triple distilled, like, um, yeah. And it's, and it, oh, yeah. I mean, I got into trouble recently for pointing out that, uh, Jemison isn't triple distilled, you know, it's a blend <laughs> of triple distilled pasta whiskey and stuff that went through a column still, which is you know, in theory like 20 times distilled. The, uh, That's well, and you know yeah. what? And I sort of, there's, there's, there's something really interesting about um, being a woman in whiskey. And, and actually um, I feel like a sort of a kindred moment with Irish whiskey in that people assume that I course, also breaking, like dainty, light, like floral. Breaking the bullshit. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, no, actually I prefer like a cast strength bourbon. Thanks. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, great, great suggestion. And like, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, uh, different types of whiskey, but I just don't subscribe to the whole, like, this is a feminine whiskey. Oh, this is a, you of know, course, like yeah. that's complete, like total horseshit. So um, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really happy to, um, I feel like me and Irish whiskey have got something in common. <laughs> have a similar tragedy, a similar, <laughs> similar irritations. Yeah. Exactly. No, please do come back on. That was awesome.